Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 78 years ago in February 1945, the big three, Roosevelt, Churchill and Stalin, met in Yalta. An arduous journey for Churchill and Roosevelt, the aim was to finalise the Allies' strategy for the remainder of the Second World War and try and forge a post-war settlement. However, it would not be long before the Grand Alliance would break up and the Cold War would begin. So, what went wrong at Yalta? And who really won the final debates and the jostling at the end of the Second World War? Well, to find out, I'm joined by my old friend and a regular on the Warfare podcast, Professor Caroline Kennedy-Pipe. Caroline is author of Stalin's Cold War and Russia and the World Since 1917. We met deep underground in London, in the Churchill War Rooms, and I couldn't think of a more fitting place to discuss this monumental conference. Enjoy. Caroline, welcome to the Warfare Podcast. How are you doing today? Well, thank you, James. Well, thank you so much for coming down to the Cabinet War Rooms, otherwise known as the Churchill War Rooms. We're deep underground in the heart of London. It's here that Churchill and his government would have made deliberations all the way through the war. They call this the rooms that didn't sleep. But as we move towards the end of the war, Churchill would have been able to emerge from underground and have to start negotiating what the post-war world looked like. And no greater place did that happen than Yalta in February 1945, 78 years ago this month. Now, tell us, why was Yalta chosen as the location for these pivotal talks? So Yalta takes place in the Crimea at the insistence of Joseph Stalin. Famously, Stalin did not like flying. And he claimed that on the advice of his doctors, he couldn't travel further than literally his backyard. And so Roosevelt, who, as we know, was ill at this point in time, had to fly 6,000 miles into Crimea. And Churchill, of course, also had to travel with his entourage to discuss, as the war ended in Europe, but not in the Far East, to discuss the terms on which the three great powers would decide the future. Now, you say that Stalin was on medical advice here, but is the truth of the matter not that Stalin wanted to be on home turf, and also not too far away from his own seat of power, just in case anyone got the wrong idea and might try and overthrow him? Well, remember that in 1943, they had met in Tehran, and again, Stalin had not liked the travel arrangements. But you're certainly right, James, that what this meeting gave in the three palaces was a fig leaf of respectability that Roosevelt would be chairing. 
But actually, we know the Russians were dominating the hospitality, the proceedings, and let's be candid, probably the bugging. The bugging. Tell us more about this. So they what had the entire place bugged up so they could try and have some sort of behind-the-scenes information that could help them with the negotiations. Absolutely, and that had also been the case at Tehran. You know, bugs on the floor, bugs in the bed, and bugs on the ceiling was the phrase. And I'm sure it wasn't just. The bugs of the technical kind, either. I think famously, both Roosevelt and Churchill weren't particularly happy with the state of the arrangements in Yalta. I think it was very difficult in the sense that the Russian authorities, Soviet authorities, had really tried very hard in the time of war, but the infrastructure was poor, the travel was poor, very long car journeys from the airport to the palaces. And then, of course, given American standards, it was regarded as rather poor. But the hospitality was lavish. The vodka flowed. The vodka flowed. Well, take us through these kind of personal characters, the relationships between each of these big three figures. Who is it who got on with who, and who didn't like each other? So Yalta is very much a pivot. Right up until that point. It had been suspected that there would be an Anglo-Soviet sphere of influence decided for Europe, but this really—and historians disagree about the role of Roosevelt—this, in a way, is where Roosevelt attempts to negotiate directly with Stalin on the future. And what's interesting about Roosevelt, for all the allegations of frailty, not having read his briefs properly, and an inability to deal with this wily dictator. Roosevelt was trying to do something very specific, Yalta. He was trying, and to the modern mind, this is very interesting, enunciate global principles of democracy that would underwrite this, these arrangements for the post-war world. So, I would say that we have Stalin and Churchill really hardened in terms of diplomatic negotiations and the realist politics of Europe. Remember the year before Stalin. Um, and Churchill had devised a so-called percentages agreement, in which they had literally carved up Central and Eastern Europe with the British remaining predominant in Greece. Now that never achieved official recognition, although Stalin famously ticked the paper on which Churchill had outlined these arrangements. Churchill then suggested that paper be burnt. But Roosevelt, given American. Commitment to the Atlantic Charter, and also the principles of the Liberation for Declarated Europe, which is agreed at Yalta, wanted to set in place not just his vision of a United Nations, an American idea, but also this commitment, which we see in the De- Declaration of Liberated Europe, free and unfettered elections. What Roosevelt wanted to do was hold Stalin to account. And here we have in mind Poland, but there is a broader landscape in which I think Roosevelt enunciates a new world order, which he hopes Stalin will sign up to. So, whilst democratic elections, perhaps in Poland, are important to Roosevelt, they're not his main goal here. He wants Stalin to buy into a new world order, into the United Nations, so they can come together and actually avoid wars like this taking place again into the future. I think that might be rather overstating the optimism. I think what Roosevelt wanted was to set principles, whilst all the time he wasn't as naive. As many of his critics argue, understanding the nature 
of the authoritarian Soviet Union. What I think he was attempting to do, and you're quite right, Poland wasn't his preoccupation, but Churchill certainly was preoccupied with the fate of Poland. It was more that if he set in principle, then the United Nations might, and he and Stalin, of course, argued about how many of the Soviet republics would have a presence in the United Nations. And even as we sit here thinking about Ukraine, Ukraine was one of them. There was this idea that principles might yet win out over authoritarian regimes. Is it safe to say that when the negotiations were taking place between the big three and also their backroom staff who are attending with them, is it safe to say that the key negotiations here are between Stalin and Roosevelt? Because whilst Roosevelt and Churchill were close at the beginning of the war, their relationship had started to fray. There's reports that when both Roosevelt and Churchill had stopped in Malta before they moved on to Yalta, that Churchill was desperate to meet with Roosevelt. But for a man who was on death's door, he was incredibly good at getting away from that meeting and pretty much refused to meet with Churchill because he knew exactly what Churchill wanted to try and strong arm him and to try and make sure that Roosevelt would be on side in the talk. So when it comes to the actual room itself, what are the characteristics of power? Is Roosevelt more on Stalin's side? Is he on Churchill's side? How are the dynamics? So the dynamics at Yalta are very much that although the Anglo-American alliance is secure, Roosevelt has again begun to think more broadly. Remember that Soviet troops are 40 miles away from taking Berlin. Stalin fears that Churchill will try and cut a deal with Hitler and that even now, even as victory in Europe beckons, the Russians, the Soviet Union will be betrayed. So Stalin is keeping a watchful eye on this. What he does have as leverage over Roosevelt, and Roosevelt knows this clearly, is that of course the war in Europe has been secured it will be fought to unconditional surrender, will be enormously bloody in that final Soviet onslaught on Germany. Roosevelt's concern at Yalta is to get a promise from Stalin that once Germany is shattered, defeated, and the process of denazification begins, that the Soviet army will turn around and join the Americans in the Pacific. And Stalin gives the guarantee that in return for a place in the occupation of Japan, which will also be subject to unconditional surrender, within two to three months, Soviet forces will enter the war in Manchuria. This for Roosevelt, remember, atomic weapons have yet to arrive. This for Roosevelt is crucial in ending that extremely brutal war in the Pacific, saving American lives and being able to bring the boys back home. And this is one of the key moments at Yalta when Roosevelt is asked directly about how long American troops might stay in Europe. He says with one eye on the American population, two years at the longest. So we have Roosevelt wanting to end this war, to go back to normalcy and to win that war in the Far East with as little attrition to American forces as possible. You see, that's absolutely fascinating because in many ways, Uncle Joe Stalin has all of the cards here. Is that how it plays out in the early negotiations in the start of Yalta? Well, he doesn't quite have all the cards. He has some cards. I would say the predominant concern is the future of Germany. 
which again has tested the Great Power Alliance with very different visions of what should happen to Germany. And as you know, James, in my work, I argue that what Stalin wanted was to secure for Soviet influence Central and Eastern Europe, but also maintain a cordial and cooperative relationship with his allies. He wanted post-war cooperation. And this is ways, means, and political objectives. Obviously, once free and unfettered elections don't take place in Poland, or indeed in Central and Eastern Europe, that is a very dark mark against Stalin. He doesn't have all the cards because he cannot be sure what the Americans and British want for the future of Germany. So he's suspicious. Oh, deeply suspicious. And so the wrangling over Germany is intense, but the decision is taken that Germany will be divided. But now, that decision's taken at Yalta. It is, comes to fruition right. at Yalta. But remember, there is something extremely interesting about Yalta, and that is not the people who are there, but those who are not there. Airplanes, spacesuits, condoms, coffee, plastic surgery, warships. Over on the patented podcast by History Hit, we bring you the fascinating stories of history's most impactful inventions and the people who claim these ideas as their own. We uncover exceptional stories behind everyday objects. We managed to put two men on the moon before we put wheels on suitcases. Unpack invention myths. So the prince's widow immediately becomes certain. Thomas Edison stole her husband's invention and her husband disappeared around the same time, can only have been eliminated by Thomas Edison, who at the time is arguably the most famous person in the West. And look backwards to understand technologies that are still in progress. You know, when people turn around to me and say, oh, why would you want to live forever? Life's rubbish. I just think that's a bit sad. I think it's a worthwhile thing to do. And the thing that really makes it worthwhile is the fact that you could make it go on forever. So subscribe to Patented from History Hit on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to catch new episodes every Wednesday and Sunday. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So who's not there who should be there? Ah, well, should be, that's the judgment of history. Of course. Who isn't invited is de Gaulle, the French leader, who is incandescent and infuriated that he has been cut out of this great power meeting. He was a man with an ego. I believe so. I believe so. Well, that actually was partly because of that ego that Roosevelt didn't want him there. He saw de Gaulle as a bit of a little Napoleon who wanted to bring back the French Empire. And 
Roosevelt was very much done with the old world, the old way of ruling Europe, and wanted to see a new order in place. Is that why Roosevelt wanted to keep him out? Partly. But remember that what the Americans had begun to fear was that the British, the French, would, along with the Russians potentially, try and carve out a European dimension. And there was right up to Yalta a suspicion that France and Britain would try and rule the risk, destroyed though their economies were. So this was about the Americans not really wanting the French in the room. Churchill, of course, stands up for de Gaulle and French interests throughout this conference. But remember, Stalin famously has very little time for the French because remember how many divisions does the Pope have in Stalin's thinking. The very fact that France had crumbled so rapidly with the fall of France meant that Stalin really didn't have much admiration for the French. So it's a combination of factors. And of course, because he's excluded from Yalta, he can't then come to Potsdam Mm. because the fear by the Americans is that he will try and undo Yalta. Right. But Churchill very famously on every occasion pushes French interests. And it's because of that that the French do get a zone in Germany, but it is carved out of British and American interests. I see. Is that Churchill's greatest victory out of Yalta, that he gives France a place at the table? Is that the only thing he manages to get, really? So Churchill's, as you know, hugely enigmatic, and he rewrites the historiography of Yalta himself in his own histories. The view is that Churchill was less effective because the decision had been taken by Roosevelt that Stalin was a more important ally at this point in the future. Churchill does succeed in bringing the French into the equation, and he does succeed, it seems to me, in the sense of attempting to understand how Stalin's Russia has changed during the war. The British, Anthony Eden in particular, you're quite right. Eden is scathing about Roosevelt's performance at Yalta. And yet, it is felt that the British have managed to press the case for this European dimension. And the special relationship, although coloured by what is said about Roosevelt afterwards, I think, remains intact for Yalta. And remember, all the way through to Potsdam. And Churchill is kicked out of power by the British electorate in that interim period. Absolutely. You know, and has to return in ignominy from Potsdam. Stalin can't believe it. The Americans can't believe that a great war leader loses an election. I mean, so many people can't believe it to this day that Churchill doesn't remain in power. But bring us through to those final days at Yalta. Who is it who manages to to come out of negotiations the best? So if we're going to play the game... We've got to play this game, yeah. Who wins Yalta? I don't think anyone wins Yalta. But I think what happens is because of the post-war military configuration, it is clear that Soviet forces will take Berlin. The Americans stand back to save their capabilities for the Far East. So Stalin symbolically will go on to take Berlin. Stalin gets the promise, which will later be reneged of, of a foothold in Japan. He also gets a promise from the Americans that the 1904 war with Japan, Russian losses, will be regained the Kuril Islands in particular, and he also gets promises 
of the internationalization of certain key ports. I'm thinking of Port Arthur. There's a promise over Manchuria and railway says Stalin will come away from Yalta knowing that he has secured Central and Eastern Europe. Germany will be defeated. The question mark there is, will Germany arise? That connects to Poland. Poland has to be secured for the Soviet Union, so it cannot be used as a channel back in to the Soviet Union. So Stalin will feel suspicious, but I think at this point, quite satisfied. Roosevelt will come away believing that he has got his beloved UN, that he has secured the promise of free and unfettered elections in Central and Eastern Europe. And crucially, he can go back to the American people and signal not only has the European war been won, but that Asia will not prove to be a long drawn out future conflict. So Roosevelt, and he is ailing by the end of this 10 days, very short, 10 days, for all of this to be decided. Churchill will feel, he obviously felt aggrieved about the Poles and the betrayal of Poland, which is not given anything that the Polish nationalists would like, and they are going to see territory truncated at the expense of the Soviet Union. But Churchill believes that over the coming weeks and months, hurt though he is by Roosevelt's decision to keep him out of meetings, that there is still a lot to be played for, not least securing the special relationship so that the British Empire, although in decline, finances are desperate in England when the Russians demand, and this is another thing that's on the table at Yalta, who's going to pay for the damage? Reparations. Stalin wants 10 billion. And this is where the issue of German forced labor comes in. And the Russians, the Soviet leadership, they want loans from the British and the British are embarrassed they do not have the money. So there's lots of financial wrangling going on. How you rebuild in the post-war world. And it's fitting that we sit here in the Churchill war rooms where they would have sat and deliberated all of these decisions as the bombs fell on the roof above us. And as London had to be rebuilt after the Blitz, it must have been a pipe dream for Churchill that he'd ever be sat around that table negotiating an end to this world war. Caroline, thank you so much for your time, for coming on the Warfare podcast. If people want to hear more, they want to read more, they can check out your books, Stalin's Cold War, Russia and the World Since 1917, and The Origins of the Cold War. But we're going to get you back on the podcast soon, because next we need to talk about Potsdam. Caroline, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, James. A pleasure as always. Thanks for listening. But before you go, a reminder that you can now follow along online on Twitter at HistoryHitWW2, on Instagram at James Rogers History, and on TikTok also at James Rogers History. You can also subscribe to our free Warfare Wednesdays newsletter via the link in the show notes. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland. 
further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.